Turn to James 5.16. We have been in a series called One Another. And we always think in our country it's about being number one. We're number one. Look out for number one. And Jesus says, that's not me. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. It's never about one. It's always about another. Getting your eyes off of you and always on another. On another. Well, we're starting a new one another today. And it's in James 5.16. So let's all look and get your notepads, get your pens out, get your app out, and uh, let's get in the Word. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. <laughs> okay, some of you are going, I'm out. <laughs> confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man, and by inference, a woman as well, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Today I want to spend a few minutes talking to you about pray for one another. Uh, tell, tell the person beside you, your prayers are effective, use them. Tell them that. Your prayers are effective, use them. So, you know, we talk about praying for one another, but here is the big hitch. You can't pray for one another if you're not praying. If your prayer for the day finally happened when you arrived here, like, oh Lord, please don't give him the word of knowledge or he's going to call me out and tell me what my sin is. You can't pray for one another if you don't even pray. My question is, do you pray? And people that are praying people will always include another. He said, pray for one another because this is effective, not just for them, but you're going to discover there's a whole lot of blessing that comes for you. And when you get them to pray, guess what happens? Your confidence in prayer, you start praying audacious, faith-filled prayers. You pray them. You stand on them. You believe them. You just pray in faith. Pray. Come with childlike faith. Man, sometimes I think, Lord, you know, I always look at our, our, our little grandson and just think, they just trust me. Abraham is not worried whether or not chicken nuggets are going to make it to his plate. <laughs> he's, he's not concerned about clothes. He's not concerned about gas prices. He has complete abandon to his parents. And his grandma treats him pretty good too. <laughs> Just ask Mr. Budget. Amen. We need faith-filled prayers like that for children. So, you know, when I was getting this message ready, I came across these kids' prayers. Actually, they were letters of kids' prayers, and I thought I'd share them with you. These kids got a lot of faith, and I just let me read it to you. This is from this is from Joyce, little Joyce. She said, "Dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy." <laughs> I like kids with prayers. This is these are letters. They're prayers. Here's Raphael. Here's what he says: "Dear God." If you give me a genie like Aladdin, I will give you anything you want except my money and my chest set. 
Here's Bruce. Dear God, please send me a pony. I've never asked for anything before. You can look it up. But I think Denise's is the one that got me the most. Here's what Denise said. Dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me be Mary Horton because I hate her. You know, it's kind of hard to pray to God when you're not praying for another and we can be Denise's and hate our Mary Horton. And his command is to pray for one another. And there's nothing more meaningful you'll ever experience than to know you're praying for somebody else. And when you're in need, somebody's praying for you. There's nothing more meaningful and there's nothing more powerful than when two or three agree together. There is nothing more powerful. This is why he says pray for one another. If you want power in the last days, you better be praying for somebody else besides you. But you cannot be praying for one another unless are you even praying. So let's break this down just a little bit. And I want to I show you just a couple things the Holy Spirit kind of directed me to in my studies. And I pray that it will be a blessing to you. So you ready for the ride? Here's the first point. Continue in prayer. You can't pray for one another unless you yourself are praying. Continue in prayer. You've heard the scripture you got to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean that you quit your job and stay home and read your Bible all day. It means that you are always in this communion with God because prayer really is communion with God. It's building the relationship, but you continually pray. So I want to look at James 5, 13 that preceded this verse, and look what he says. I love this. This is good. He says, anyone among you suffering, then you must do what, everybody? Pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. So what does this mean? This means don't just come to God when you're in emergency and now it's time for you to pray. What he is saying here is that the life of the Jesus Christ follower should always be constant communion of building relationship with God. My concern for unbelievers, and here is the behavior of people that claim to be Jesus followers, is that they have a spare tire faith, a spare tire prayer life. That only when a tire goes flat on the car do they finally go get the spare tire and say, you know, I need to use this. He's saying, here's the deal. Pray when you're hurting. Pray when you're in depression. Pray. But he says, don't wait till you're hurting. Pray when you're happy. Pray. He's saying all the time, have continual communion with the Father. The relationship, not just a to-do list. God, here it is and here's my trouble. Just constant communion with the Father. Pray when you're hurting. Pray when you're happy. Pray when you're mad. Pray when you're sad. Pray when you're glad. Pray when you're on the mountaintop. Pray when you're in the valley. Pray when you're sick. Pray when you're well. Don't wait till you're sick. Pray, pray, pray. Have constant communion with the heart of the Father. Continue in prayer. That's what he's saying. Too many of us have Jesus like he is some fire escape and we finally use it. The problem is, is when you check the spare tire, some of you go check and say, I wish I'd have taken care of the spare tire, and the spare tire's flat. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Because this is communion. When you say prayer, it's really communion with God. It communes with the heart of God. You know the heart of God. You know the desires of God. And then here's what happens to you and me. All of a sudden, because we're building communion in that relationship with God, we start actually reflecting his very heart. 
So the attitude that we had now goes to the side and the attitude he has starts coming out of us because of this constant communion and there's strength in that. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, if I had the time today and I did a survey of every married couple in this place, there would be a key distinction between the strong marriages in here and the stagnant marriages in here. I can find them just like that. I get, there'd be one key distinction. I'm gonna tell you what it is. Good communication. Knowing how to communicate. Knowing how to communicate. And there's nothing more true than in our relationship with God that if you want a strong relationship, you wanna be able to, you wanna be able to take on the things of this world, Start communing with God on a continual basis and don't wait till things go sour in the marriage before you start calling out to God. I knew that's what got you to God, but stay with God no matter what. See, I, I just really believe it's that prayer is the exercise that builds the muscle of your relationship with God. If you want your marriage to be strong, it's constant communication. It's not being gone for the whole week and then all of a sudden try to have intimacy on Saturday before you fly out on Sunday. It is constant communion with God. It is the muscle. Prayer is the muscle. The communion is the muscle that builds the relationship and the strength of God. And then you can lift the heavy things of life that come to you. Take my word for it. Take my word for it. Going to the gym every day or working out every day is a really good idea. You know what's a dangerous idea? It's when you're 42 years old. You still have those pictures of you in high school when you were in football. You had a six-pack ab. And at 42, you look down and you got a keg. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, your ex-girlfriend starts showing you pictures on Facebook of her. Don't let filters fool you. Boy, y'all sure are quiet. I must have really, man, I must be in touch with the Holy Spirit this morning. All of a sudden, you remember how ripped you were in high school, but now you wheeze just trying to use the remote control. <laughs> and so what you're going to do, Rico, is you're going to go to the gym and say, man, I remember when I was in high school, man, playing football, I was a star. I'm going to go out and bench press my 325. And you decide you're going to go jump back into the gym and go pump 325. And all of a sudden, guess what you do? You walk out. You walk out, my friends, with a cane. You're in a wheelchair and you've injured your body. And some of you injure your body permanently by trying to do that. Can I tell you the same thing happened spiritually? That there are people that all of a sudden may have had this relationship with God or never had this relationship with God, and now all of a sudden, the burdens of life, the temptations of life, the temptations of the culture come on them. All of a sudden, they're attacked. Something happens to their marriage. Something happens in their body, and then when they're attacked, they try to go out and bench the 325, and they injure themselves with such bitterness that they hate people. They're angry at God. They think God is a man, and then God has forgotten them, but it's those who every day build the communion with God that builds the muscle of the relationship that when I'm going through the crisis, I can endure the pain because of my communication with my mighty Father who strengthens me in everything. Am I talking to anybody today? Don't work out when you finally need it. 
What have I heard? So you take care of your bodies in your 30s and 40s, you'll enjoy them in your 60s and 70s. Prayer is the workout that builds the muscle of the relationship so you can take the pressure that the enemy throws at you. Oh, not just your prayer, but how many know he says, if you're happy, you better sing. How many know your praise can just set things ablaze? You don't know what to do? You don't do just start worshiping God. Get in the word of God. Stop quoting scripture, whatever you can do. Put them on your screen. Do, put on your screen on your phone. Do whatever you got to do. But how many know, commune with God in prayer. Oh, here's the second thing that I want you to look at. When you pray for another, other, are you doing this yourself? Am I praying? Am I, do I pray before I can pray for another? And here's the second thing. There's community in prayer. Now go to verse 14 for me with a second. And I want you to look at something. It says, if anyone among you is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him or her as well with oil in the name of the Lord. Look at this again. He must call for the elders. If you're sick, now this sickness was not just, some of us want to put it just in physical malady or physical sickness or physical problems. It was beyond even physical problems because you can see the context within James. We're also dealing with believers who were immature, believers who were succumbing to temptation, believers who were spiritually weak and sick but not addressing it. They couldn't overcome the temptation. They couldn't, they couldn't do what God called them to do in the culture. So he said, there are folks physically sick with malady and there are people spiritually sick. And he says, here's what you do. They must call for the... Now, let me show you something. James tells those kind of sick people not to call for the Lord. He didn't say... He, he didn't say call for the Lord. There's something the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you in me. The reason some of us aren't making it is we're not going to the community of the mature when we're in crisis. And we go to the unknowing for knowledge. That's the one dangerous thing about social media. There's some real weirdos out there. Now listen to this. This is so powerful. This is so smart. He says that you are to go. The elders would signify not just leaders within the church, not somebody with a title, but someone who shows maturity because they are in continual communion with the Father. They have been through the fire and you can smell a little smoke on them. Not because they're smoking. Not because of weed. <laughs> it's because they've been through the fire and it didn't consume them. They've been through waters where they didn't think they were going to make it and drown, but yet they've overcome. These are the mature that you need to be hanging out with. Not someone who's still bitter from their past relationship. Not a believer who can't forgive. Not somebody who sit there couldn't make their own finances work. He said, go to those who are mature in the Lord. You've got to have a community of believers. So what does this mean? Listen closely. I sat with the men's ministry last Saturday. Man, it was just blew my mind. All these 
men from every walk, every background. It was amazing last Saturday. But I told him, I said, the most dangerous thing you could ever do is be on your own as a believer. I thank God for the online campus. It's there to minister, but we can never let it substitute for the communion within the body of believers. Not just communion with the Lord, but he says you should be running to the mature. That means you, have, you and I, you and I have to be intentional about putting our lives in godly community. This is why I'm going to encourage you right now. If you got your app out right now, you said, Pastor, I've been wanting to. I just, I just don't know if I have time. There are all kinds of small groups. They run for a few weeks, and most of them, they all take a break, and there's a break in there, but you need the community. So just go to your app, and when you go to your app, go to Ministry Resources. Just You'll see it down there, that icon. Go to Ministry Resources. Hit that, hit that little button, and then if you'll go down, you'll see small groups. Get in there, put your name in there, and we'll find you a small group. Will help you get connected because it is the enemy who wants to take you and isolate you. Isolation is the tactic of Satan, I promise you. Take my word for it. It's to get you into your own pain, get you into your own sorrow, and disconnect from everyone else. That is a tactic of the enemy. Or all of a sudden, offense keeps you out of the body because a believer hurts your feelings. Or all of a sudden, it might be just because, you know, I just don't want to, I just, I just don't want people to know about my life. The enemy isolates believers. You've got to intentionally get in the community of prayer with mature people that help you grow, encourage you, laugh with you. I cannot tell you how powerful the body of Christ is when we're praying for each other. I promise you, I've told Brendan, I've told many of you, I do not know what Brendan and I would have done if we didn't have our relationship with Jesus. We didn't have a relationship with each other that was strong. And we didn't have believers like you praying. I'm telling you, you are deluded if you think you can do this without the body of Christ. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm telling you, you cannot survive if you do not have. That's why the Bible says one of you shall put a thousand flight and two of you ten thousand flight. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Come on, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. How many know there is power when we come together? It's the word of God. The prayers that have sustained us. I'm going to tell you, there have been many times there's someone in this church and you know who you are. You know who you are. You have sent me written prayers to me, to Brenda, to Sarah. You sent written prayers full of the word of God. You know who you are and I love you for it, this couple. And I would read those out loud. I'd read them out loud to Brenda. We read one out that was to us yesterday. I read it out loud because they're so full of faith and power. You feel the power of the spirit of God coming when you know somebody's praying. Your prayers are effective. Use them, everybody. Use them in the community of prayer. So there's got to be a community prayer. He said, he didn't call on Jesus. Call for the elders to pray in the name of the Lord. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Anybody learn anything this morning? Are you intentionally in a group? That's why this church, from our children's ministries to our youth ministries, our young adults to young at heart, all of them, small groups. Why? Because you've got to have the community if you're going to take on this world. Oh, someone say Amen. Man, I'm getting blessed by this. <laughs> then you walk in confident in prayer. When you have communion with God, your confidence builds up to take on anything that comes to you. Look at verse 15, James 5:15. It says, "And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, both physically, both spiritually weak, sick, and the Lord will raise him up. 
And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. See, here is the challenge. Here is, we're going to talk about the challenge in a little bit. But here is the stress of the believer. Is that some say, I prayed, pastor, and it didn't turn out the way I wanted it. And what happens in that is we end up making our experience the standard for doctrine and belief rather than making God's word and his character our standard. When something doesn't happen, we say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. And they go, well, I didn't see a miracle, pastor. I didn't see the healing. And so as a result, they say, that's what God is. And so they no longer pray or believe for healing or the supernatural, the miraculous of God. Is everybody listening to me? Or they have an addiction and they said, well, I prayed. I went to the prayer line. They anointed me with oil, greased me up like a pig at a county fair, and I still have a problem with this. So I prayed to the Lord. Watch this. I, I'm going to tell you, I have heard this in believer circles where something is absolutely contrary to the lifestyle of Jesus Christ for the believer. And they said, since God didn't remove it, it must be okay. Here's the big one. Well, I still have this feeling and I told God, if, if it's not from you, take away the feeling. And since the feeling didn't leave, well, then it must be okay. So what we do is we now make our, we become, as I noted the other day, theologians. That my theology is based primarily on my, we don't deny feelings. Oh, we don't deny feelings. My goodness, I don't deny my feelings. I don't ignore my feelings. But I better take those through the grid of God's character, his word, and mature community of believers to navigate this that keeps me strong. How are we doing this morning? Okay? You say, well, you take my word for it. I know what I'm talking about. And so do many of you in this room. You know what I'm talking about. So if God did that, it must be okay. And here's what happens. We stop the word of God based on our experience or what we feel. And we never look at the character or the nature of God or his word or the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. There's a statement that I made. I'm going to bring it back again because I believe it's worth saying because it took me a long time to figure it out. Don't interpret your temporal experience as an eternal realities. Don't let your temporal experience, don't interpret your temporal experience as eternal realities. That all of a sudden, well, this is the way God is. No, I have to take what is eternal, that character, that nature, that word of God that is eternal, and bring it into my temporal experience and my challenge I am walking through. And I gotta be honest with you. You say, I don't understand. Well, line up and take a number. Because I don't understand. Brenda one time, just here about a week ago, she, she had her Jesus Calling book. And I just, I, I love reading that thing. It just, you know, uh, the writer, just some of the things the Holy Spirit said and what felt like the Lord was saying. And there was one in there the other day that just really, really helped me out of Jesus Calling. I just want to read it to you. It says, don't let your need to understand distract you from my presence. That in my quest to understand, 
I have pulled away from the very one who has all understanding, all knowledge, and I pull. Because what we start saying was, is, well, God didn't answer my prayer. No, he answered your prayer. It just wasn't the way you wanted it. John Ortberg makes this powerful statement that, boy, it took me a while to get my mind around it, but it's true. At the heart of the gospel is unanswered prayer. <laughs> unanswered prayer. You're gonna, that, that, is, that is heresy, pastor. No, oh no. <laughs> An unanswered prayer. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus Christ sat there and pleaded with his Father. He said, please, I know what's getting ready to happen. If it be thy will, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to take the nails. I don't want to take the beating. I can't stand people to spit in my face. I'm the, living, I'm the Son of God. I'm God with skin on. And here is Jesus asking his Father, please, don't let me go through this suffering. And God said no to his own Son. But when he said no to his son, it was a yes for the rest of the world. So you cannot take your understanding and impose it upon God because his ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are so much higher than Sam Reifgold. And at some point, I've got to keep communing in his presence when I don't have a grip on the understanding that I need because the no to Jesus was a yes for you to sit here, to be born again, to have eternal life, to have a life with Jesus Christ and overcoming life here on this earth through Jesus Christ. How many thank God? God said no to his son so he could say yes to you and me and the rest of the world. God's word must always be the standard, not my experience, but I got to take you through the grid of his character, the grid of his nature, the grid of his word, who he is, the life of Jesus. So let me just tell you right now, pray confident prayers for your family to be saved. Pray confident prayers for your healing in your body, because when he heals and how he heals is all his business. My part is to pray and stay in communion, to believe him and to trust God no matter what, because in the end, I win. I've already won on the cross. It has already been done. I don't know. He may heal you instantly today. That's the kind of God he is. You may go to a doctor through therapy and you be healed. That's the kind of God he is. You may be healed in your earthly body instantaneously here or you may be healed in your body when you get there. But as the believer, let me just put it down right now. The devil is already done. His fate is already sealed and your eternity has the greatest hope you could ever imagine. Do you understand what I'm saying today? So you can pray in confidence. I may not understand. He answers. But he answers with his wisdom. Oh, my, 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 my. Okay. I'm coming in for a landing. My last point. But it's the toughest point. The challenge in prayer. And I know what it is. You, know, you think you know what it is. I fall asleep. <laughs> so let me just tell you, if you're having trouble sleeping at night, maybe you ought to start praying. You'll go right out. <laughs> you know, I have found my times, really, seriously, I have found my time, many times I fall asleep praying. Or I fall asleep just worshiping God. I just fall asleep. Or maybe you just need to play me preaching and you'll go right out. <laughs> I know why you're on the back row. I don't know. I was having a little fun. 
I don't have enough time. That's not the challenge of prayer. No, that's not the challenge of prayer. Let me tell you what the challenge of prayer is. It's not praying for me. Not praying for people in your small group. But the people you deplore. The person that wounded you. A father that abused you. A preacher that took advantage of you. A Christian person that got you in business and took all your retirement. Someone who spoke in tongues beside you and that same tongue was like a slithering serpent hiding behind an enamel picket fence that spoke words against you and your children. And the reason why I give some believers the leeway that speak in tongues and still are vicious with their words is because that same James said, no man can contain the tongue. Amen. The only thing to tame the tongue is you got to get in communion with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He'll help you tame it. I can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can help Sam. Mm -hmm. The challenge is praying for people that you didn't vote for. And you look at their decisions and you're going, I can't believe this. The challenge lies when praying for one another means praying for people that have highly offended you. And the prayer, I pray for them, Pastor. Lord, judge them. <laughs> Lord, you're the Denise. I hate Mary Horton. His command to me, whether I like it or not, is take your feelings and process through the grid of my nature, my word, and the life of Jesus. You gonna obey, Sam? Or you wanna keep lighting up on Facebook how you're right and everybody else is wrong? Or are you gonna pray? Pray. Because your prayers are the most effective thing. So look what it says, James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins. <laughs> so guess what? We all got them. You got a nose. I got a nose. All God's people got a nose. You got sin. I got sin. All God's people got sin. Just bring the sin to the right place. Confess your sins one to another. So sometimes there is a place where the people who have been influenced by what my decision was or my words need to hear it from me. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. That is the challenge of the believer's prayer life. And maybe the reason why the church in America has lost its effect is because I'm watching a side up on either line. It doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you don't give an opinion. But you better have that opinion bathed that you've been in the presence of God and he's tempered you with his hand, his character, his nature when you bring it. I, I don't have problems with you. It's the nature of Jesus that's not clothed in the whole thing to see what Jesus sees. Oh Lord, please help me through this point. But here's what this will do. He says that kind of praying is effective. As hard as it is, it's effective and it's powerful. 
to pray for the daughter-in-law that did that to your boy and took everything he had. He abandoned her and we're here with the grandkids. He says, doesn't mean you don't ignore it, doesn't mean you don't talk about problems, but he says the effective prayer for their life that God would show his blessings by bringing them and turning them around to see the favor of God and to follow God. He says that prayer is effective and it is powerful. There's not a devil in hell that can stand against it. But he can't stand against division. He can't sow his seeds in division. Watch this. Praying for people you don't want to pray for ultimately brings you blessing in the end. Every time. Every time. Praying in the midst of a situation you don't understand and you hate and you're hurt and you're in pain, praying in that time will bring the most powerful blessings in your life. And some of you in this room have already been there and you say, amen, pastor, because it took time, but I got there. And the blessing of God is there. So let me just take you to what I'm, uh, let me show you just something real quick that I want to show you. I want to talk to you about Old Testament Israel just for a moment. I'm going to show you about this power of praying for people you hate. Okay. Israel's in Babylon, Babylonian captivity. They're there because you know they're sinning. They want to live like the world. God says, I'll give you what the world has. Go ahead, have at it. Let me just show you how horrible it is. And as a result, the very things that they wanted now, they're in captivity for 70 years. They've tore down, they've dismantled their nation. They've tore down the centerpiece of their nation, which is the temple, the tabernacle, torn it down. They've burnt their cities down. They've separated the families. They have raped their daughters, put them in slavery, separated the families, took them out of their country and moved them to another country to live under the dominion and the domination of an enemy. And for 70 years, they're going to be like this. And look what Jeremiah the prophet says to them in the middle of this captivity under enemy, that, that you hate them. Oh boy, do they hate them. Boy, do they hate them. Look what he says to them. He says, I want you to build your houses while you're in this place. I want you to settle down. <laughs> Not just settle down. No, you need to settle down. You need to plant your vineyards, eat the harvest from those vineyards, tell your kids to keep marrying. In other words, he says, keep being productive in the middle of your bitterness and pain. Keep being productive. But he says, let me show you the impetus to make this happen. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. He says, also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Your disobedience brought you there. Watch this. And look what he says. What's the next word, everybody? Oh, say that beautiful word that's hard to do when you're in the hands of an enemy. What? Pray. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is a setup by God to open blessings for your life. So look what happens. They're at the river Kabar. And Psalm 137 talks about what's happening to those people in exile Why they're at the river of Kabar. Look at it, what it says. Psalm 137 verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to stay there. Look at this. Now here's what God's people are doing. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put our, away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar tree for our captors, our enemies, our captors. Look what they did to my kid. They separated my boy. Look what they did to my daughter. Look what they did to our temple. Look what they did. Watch this. 
For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors, our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? In other words, we're not in control anymore. Look at verse 6. <laughs> they said, sing. Look what they said in verse 6. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you. If I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Now look at their response to their enemy in verse 8 of Psalm 137. I mean, the psalmist nails it. Happy, this is what they're saying about their enemy. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Bitter much? <laughs> Even a child that can't defend itself? This is what the people of God were saying. Why have they come with such anger, such hatred? What's happening here? But about the same time that all this is happening, watch this, we find the prophet Ezekiel at the same river, the river Kabar, same enemies, same conditions, preachers in it, and they're probably saying to the preacher, why are we in this? I thought God was for us. Watch this. Same condition, but something's different happening to Ezekiel the prophet like it was happening to Jeremiah. And look what Ezekiel 1.1 1, 1 says. He says, while I was with the Judean exiles beside the Kabar River in Babylon, same place, same problem, the heavens were opened up, and I saw visions of God. Look at verse 12. That's in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 12. Look at this. He's in the presence of God. He says, then, then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard the loud rumbling of sound behind me. May the glory of the Lord be praised in this place. What place? A pagan place where your enemies have tormented you. That's the place. Not when the LED panels are going and the music's at a fever pitch. It's when everybody's gone and it's in the midst of a problem you don't understand. And they said this against my family. He said, in that place, the Spirit of God's name was praised. And look at verse 14. He said, the Spirit lifted me up. I think he was in communion with the Father. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away. Did he leave the place physically? No. He took his spirit, his attitude, his mind, and took him into the realm of what God was seeing and what God was doing. Watch. I went in bitter. So when you think that preacher's got it all together, and we don't feel what you feel, and we don't go, listen, the same devil that hates me hates you. The only difference between you and me is the distance between us. He hates our guts and despises us. And the same thing that he puts in your mind, he tries to put in my mind. And I can promise you that a lot of us have all gone in bitter and in turmoil. He says, as a preacher, a man of God, I went in bitter, and I was in turmoil, just like the others that were sitting at the River Kabar. But the Lord's hold on me was strong. Then I came to the colony of the Judean exiles in Tel Abib. Beside the Kabar River, I was overwhelmed and sat among them for seven days. The word overwhelmed, he said, I was dumbfounded. And what God was doing, I was dumbfounded at their response. What was the difference same problem, same crisis, same situation, same bitterness, same turmoil, same pain, same thing. Why did all these other God-fearing people 
become bitter and say, smash their babies who can't defend themselves against a rock. Smash them, destroy them, crush their heads. We're not going to sing. We are bitter. We're mad. What was the difference between Ezekiel and those people? Let me tell you what the difference was. Our thoughts were on Jerusalem. Remember what they said? If I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy, there's nothing wrong with being patriotic. Not a thing. I am. But I will never worship this nation. Because there are things like the person sitting beside you actually becomes the center of your joy over his presence. You know how we know? Because you invest more time in it than you do him. I can tell how much you worship something by how much you invest in it and how much time you give it. The difference was national patriotism had become their core worship. But Ezekiel said, oh no. I was in his spirit. And I walked in bitter just like you and I was mad. I saw what they did to the sacred temple. I saw what they did to your children. I saw how they divided your family. I heard about how they raped your daughter. I heard how they emasculated your boy. But in the middle of that, I was lifted up in his spirit and that's where I will remain. And I don't know where you are today. But I'm telling you that in the middle of it, he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That when you can't pray for that other person because you say, Pastor, I cannot believe it. And then I can't believe other people like this line up with him. Well, let me tell you, the greatest thing you can do is to get in his presence and say, God, I bring them to you. I bring them to you, Father. I bring them to you, Father. I bring this situation to you. How many of you believe, folks, that the greatest thing you can do is maybe you come in bitter and in turmoil over somebody and you can't pray for them. But if you'll get in the presence of God and bring them and bring this to them, the grip of the Lord will be strong on you and raise you up. And you'll be dumbfounded how God has raised you and will bless you again if you'll trust him. How many are ready to receive that from the Lord today? Amen. Come on, how many up there? How many at home right now? Just receive that from the Lord. Just receive that from the Lord.